0: And tonight, our passage is 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, This is a famous passage of the Bible. You may have heard it before. Um, And if you haven't, you're about to hear it now. So this is the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, now as we study your word, as we look at the things that you would have to say to us, um, Lord, help us to hear clearly. Open our ears, our physical ears, our spiritual ears, Lord. Open our hearts to receive this word. Lord, and I pray uh, yet again that tonight you will strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing, uh, one thing I want you to take note of, and Matthew's going to put the slide up now. Um, we are beginning our uh, Q and A portion of the semester. So what we're going to do, since after this week, we're going to move into uh, some of the more like, you know, we've been saying we're talking about relationships, and we keep talking about weird things like covenants and restoration and stuff. We're finally going to start talking about marriage next uh, next Monday uh, on Valentine's Day. Like we're going to talk about marriage on Valentine. Who doesn't love that? Who's not excited about that? And by the way. Uh, we're gonna have Chick-fil-A for dinner. So, um, that's a, that's a big win. Uh, unless the camp people are lying to me and they don't bring it, but they told me they were. So, uh, throughout tonight, um, if you are the note taking type, or if you just want to send me a text message, I have everything said on do not disturb. So you shouldn't throw me off. Um, as questions come up, uh, I want you to text me. I will keep your name completely confidential. Um, and, uh, and after, after the sermon, um, we'll spend some time answering questions if you have any, and if you don't, we'll sing a song and go home. Um, but I figured as we kind of got into more, uh, more practical things, um, this would be helpful. And like I said, we're studying relationships. So I want to again, remind you why we're doing that. Um, the, the first reason is because so much of our sanctification, our growth in grace happens in relationships with other people. Um, if those are our friends, our families, our Boyfriends or girlfriends our eventual uh, or actual spouses there are married people in the room. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's where our growth in grace happens, is in relationships with other people so often. Um, Relationships can be complicated, and there's a lot of bad advice out there, and that's probably a lot of what you've been given. Um, And the other other reason that we're doing this is because 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the Bible is the Word of God, and it equips us for every good work. Including how we relate to other people, and so while there aren't specific categories in the Bible, like this is the chapter on dating, like there are things that the Bible tells us about wisdom and about other people that uh, that I believe apply. And, and again, I want to remind you um, that you are safe here. You're safe to ask whatever questions you have. Um, there are no dumb questions, and there's probably not anything that you can ask me or tell me that's going to shock me. So. Um, So with all this, um, fire away, you are safe here. So this passage that we have just read, 1 Corinthians 13, it is among the most famous passages in Scripture. If you've ever been to a wedding, there's a good chance you've heard this. And uh, one of my um, my favorite scenes in The Office is uh, actually in the last season, which is mostly terrible, um, because they had the audacity to make us think they were going to break Jim and Pam up, uh, which just as we discussed the other night that would have been worse than the ending of the loss and if you don't understand that talk to me later but um but so so you know jim jim starts a business with his friends in philadelphia and he's going back and forth and eventually he's working full time in philadelphia and it's causing him to neglect pam and the kids and it's just getting it's getting very difficult and uh, pam starts to feel very distant and they start to have some fights and then pam's like i don't think this is the life for me and then they uh, they for whatever reason Jim talks to Toby about couples counseling. I don't I never understood that that trigger plot. But but he got prob, yeah, that's probably it because <laughs> because Toby got divorced and Jim was just like help me not do what you did. Um, but uh, but there's this there's this beautiful scene and I saw this episode the other day where uh, they've started going through counseling and Jim is leaving to go back to Philadelphia and he tells Pam like, "Hey, this was hard, but this was good. And let's keep Let's keep working. And so he goes, he, to go, he goes to get in his taxi and Pam realizes that he has left his umbrella. And so she runs out to the parking lot to give it to him. And then Jim just looks at her and he, and he hugs her. And, and, and I think Jenna Fisher does an amazing job in the scene because you see like, at first she's kind of like tense and like not hugging him back. Cause she's like, I want to, but like this hurts or whatever. And then, and then they flash back to their wedding and what are they reading? Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, love does not envy. And, 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 and then you see her, her whole like, posture start to change and she hugs him. And then, uh, and then the last like three episodes of the last season are actually really good. So they redeem the whole thing. But the reason that I think that is so powerful is that, um, is that you have these writers of a comedy show who know something about this passage that, is, that they connect with. And and, and listening to interviews, they don't even believe in... A lot of the writers don't even believe in God. They're not Christians. But yet there's something that is appealing about this passage that we all hear. And if nothing else, we, we long for it to be true. We want this to be true. And so as we're talking about relationships, as we're talking about the different things that we're talking about this semester... This is, this is the, it's the last piece of the foundation I've been laying, but really this is the foundation, is love. And so we have to look at what love is, or what is love, and we all repeat, baby, don't hurt me over and over again. Because when I put that on, on Instagram, I got that answer multiple times, so thank you. Um, but I think Paul shows us three things here. The first thing that Paul shows us is the necessity of love, then he shows us the definition of love, and then he shows us the person of love. So, necessity, definition, person, if you're taking notes in that type. So, the necessity of love. In verses one through three, Paul explains some difficult things about, about love. And if you know anything about the situation in Corinth, um, in, in the church there uh, that Paul's writing to, um, it was a complete train wreck, it was a disaster. Uh, the, the, the people in the church, they were having this, this bitter debate about which ones of the spiritual gifts uh, were the best. Was it, was it speaking in tongues? Was it prophecy? Was it wisdom? And they're having this debate, and they're fighting over it. And Paul's telling them that by having this debate, they're completely missing the point. That they're not understanding what's going on, because Paul is warning them that you, you look spiritual, You look like you're concerned with the things of God. And yet, the one thing that drives the the entire foundation of the Christian ethic, you've completely abandoned it. And that's love. And and we see that throughout uh, the letter so vividly because they're not just debating which spiritual gift is better. Uh, Paul's Paul's having to tell them things like, hey, when you come to the communion table, don't get drunk. Paul's telling them, hey, don't have sex with your stepmother. (laughs) Like, Paul's having to lay out some pretty, like, some pretty, I don't know, what seemed to me obvious things <laughs> that, that they're, just not, they're just not connecting on. Paul's saying, like, your, your behavior, like, like you're, you're giving all the appearance of being Christian and being godly, but you're missing the point. So, so first, big yikes. But second, Paul's writing this letter to Christians. Paul's writing this letter to people that are claiming the name of Christ. And so this is that moment that I'm sure when whoever, whoever it is that received the letter and stood up to read it to the congregation, that everybody sitting in there was like, why is Paul talking about me? Like, what, like, how, like how does Paul know that, 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 that I'm going through all this? Like, it's that, did he have me in mind and write this directly about me moment? And look at what he says. He says, if I speak, in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a, a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. And this one's all about the tongue. Paul's saying, look, you can, you can possess this gift of, of tongues. You can possess this gift that um, makes you sound like super spiritual. You can present the gospel a million times. You can articulate it clearly. You can make impassioned pleas for things. You can believe in and care about. You can say all the right words. You can check every box as a communicator and still miss the point. See, I think what, what he's saying here is that I, myself, I could reach the goal that I have of being the Tim Keller of Jefferson City, Tennessee, <laughs> but without love, I'm just a clanging symbol. And, and I, like, I love the illustration of the clanging symbol because, I, um, so when I was in college, uh, I, was a, I was a young life leader. And, um, we, we had, uh, one of my, one of my roommates was also a young life leader. So he had some of our guys over and I was taking a nap. One of our other roommates who I've told some of y'all stories about, he, he bought a drum set in our house and it was like right under, right under my room. And, and, and a, he like didn't pay rent that month to buy a drum set. I was like, come on, dude. Like, like, that's not how adults function. Uh, but two, there's something magical that happens when people see a drum set. Like, you're never going to walk up to what's obviously, like, a nice guitar and think, oh, let me pick this up and play this. But you can walk up to a drum set, and you're like, oh, I'm the best drummer in the world. And so you just sit there, and you start to wail on it. And, and, and so this one kid came over, and he's just, like, destroying these cymbals. And I'm taking a nap, and it's like, my nap is just ruined. And so, like, this whole, like, clanging cymbal thing, it hits very, very close to home for me. Um, because it sounds awful. Like, you're, you're, like, whoever you are, you're not a good drummer. So just pass, the, just pass on the opportunity. Don't do it. But, but what, what Paul is saying here is that you can be the most gifted speaker. You can possess this gift of tongues. And it means nothing if you don't have love. And he says, if I have prophetic powers and I can discern all knowledge. Um, you know, Again, one of the, that was one of the things that they were obsessed with was this special knowledge. Um, you, can, you can know all things and understand all mysteries. In other words, you can be the most doctrinally sound individual out there. You can be an expert in whatever your major is. You can never miss church. You can be at RUF every Monday, never miss a quiet time. You can Instagram your quiet time. Uh, you can know all there is to know about the world. You can have every answer for everything. You can be a great debater. But if you don't have love... You are nothing. It's just kind of like what YouTube is, right? Like just everybody's right. Everybody knows everything anyway. Um, And then Paul says, the third thing he says is, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love." See, you can be active in social justice. You can be passionate about all kinds of reforms or whatever you want. You can go on short-term mission trips, long-term mission trips, or you can dedicate your life to full-time ministry. Like when I was a kid at my church, like during the invitation, people would come down and they would dedicate their lives to full-time ministry, and they would be like nine years old. And it's like, <laughs> I don't I don't think you know what you're talking about, but they would do it, right? You can do that. You can do all of those things. But without love, you gain nothing. And and, and I and I'd say like all those things in a lot of ways, like kind of mess with me personally, because I'm a preacher and a pastor, and you know, sometimes I have to check my own heart, right? It's scary. But obviously all these things are good things. Like it is good. It is a blessing to be a gifted communicator. It is a good and worthy goal to know what you believe, to know your doctrine, your theology, whatever. It's a good thing to be generous. But what Paul is saying is that the motivations of your actions are just as important as your actions themselves. And, And if you've been a part of the the freshman Bible study, that's what we've been talking about all year, right? About the Sermon on the Mount and uh, not just not just the things that we do, but the heart behind them. Not just the, the letter of the law, but the spirit as well. And so here's the point of what Paul is writing here. He's saying you can do it all. You can, you can share your faith with every single person you come into contact on campus. You can serve at every ministry. You can go to RUF on Mondays, FCA on Tuesdays. You can go to BCM on Wednesdays. Um, if you're a girl, you can go to Delight on Thursdays. Or if you're a freshman, you can go to freshman Bible study. And I'm sure there's something to do on Friday. It seems like a holy day to do something. Um, you can go to church Sunday morning. You can go to service team on Sunday night. You can lead worship. You know, everything on this campus is like some sort of justification for ministry, right? All the time. And what Paul is saying, again, Paul is writing to Christians He's saying you can lead a small group. You can eloquently defend your theological positions. You can memorize scripture. You can do whatever. You can go on every spot strip available. You can go to summer missions and whatever else you want. You can post Bible verses online. You can hashtag the right stuff. And Paul's saying that all of this is for nothing without love. All of this is pointless that you gain nothing. And it doesn't mean that God can't or won't use it but it means that none of it is of any spiritual value to you. Because what the gospel primarily pushes us towards is not theological precision precision, or eloquent defenses of the faith or even acts of service and mercy. Those are good things and they naturally happen when we know Jesus. But the gospel primarily pushes us towards love and Paul is reminding, that, reminding us of that here. And... and This is just kind of a big picture thing that I've been thinking about and wrestling with lately, but we live in a world where we talk about love all the time, right? Everybody loves love. Everybody loves the idea of love, but it feels devoid of love in a lot of ways. It feels like the things that we do, like we never see love, never experience love because, because we value other stuff over love, right? We are, um, we, and we value stuff other than love to the very detriment of our humanity. That we find ways to dehumanize ourselves and to dehumanize others. Look at the way that, just example, like we value efficiency over love, right? Like the other day, um, <laughs> the other day I, I, had, I experienced the great, great travesty of having to go through the actual checkout line at Walmart and not the self-checkout line. Like the line, this, the self-checkout line was super long. There was nobody at this other one. And I was like, what do I even say to a cashier? Like, I forgot. Legitimately forgot. I was like, oh, uh, hey, how's it going? Like, why? Because I value efficiency over human interaction. I value efficiency over talking to other people. And part of me was just kind of spent the whole time annoyed that I couldn't go to the self-checkout. So all the things that we do, they have unintended consequences over us. And we miss out on the opportunities around us to share kindness and to be patient. And, and, and our desire and our longing for efficiency leads us to see other people as impediments to our schedules and obstacles to overcome. So we value self sufficiency and autonomy over love. So if your goal in life is to be your most authentic self or to be whoever you truly are, and, and this is not like, this is not me talking about the culture out there. Like, this is in our churches, this is in our own hearts then other people become objects or they become competition. We talked about this a little bit last week. We either crush them uh, in inviting our own, we either crush them in a way or we use them to achieve it, to achieve the efficiency or the autonomy or or the self-sufficiency that we're longing for. And so we end up being able to endure nothing because enduring someone else might that might speak contrary to to who we are, Uh, that might end up being uh, it might end up causing us to fail. And, and as believers, we're not exempt from these things. If you're here and you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus, like you're not exempt from this. So, so what are the places in your life that you feel are the most devoid of love? Where do you most, mostly feel the necessity for it? But then the next thing that Paul shows us is the definition of love. What, what is love? Paul's saying it's so vital. What is it? And everybody has a different answer. If you walk, walked up to 100 people and asked 100 people, how would you define love? they would give you 100 different answers. And they would probably all be good enough in, in a way to make you think that might be right. And then you'd to the next person and then you just end up being anxious because you didn't know which one was right. Because um, that's what we do. But again, it's important for us to go back to the Bible and to see what Paul says about it. How does the Bible define love? Love, and listen to what Paul says about it, that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so I think the first, thing, the first thing that Paul is trying to convey to us about about love, asking the question, what is it? I think Paul's telling us that love is secure. Um, he begins verse 4 by saying, Love is patient and kind, and he lists a bunch of stuff that love does not do, um, and a couple things it does at the end. Um, you know, one of the things that says love does not do is uh, love does not envy or boast. And I was reading about this. One commentator said that uh, when it says uh, to boast, it literally means like be a windbag, which is like a really funny like, old people way of talking about people. We should call people windbags more. Um, <laughs> not not in a boasting way because that's not what love does but uh it's not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it's not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice in wrongdoing but instead rejoices with the truth and think about think about dealing with people or the people that you know or uh if you can be honest with yourself the ways that you um do all these things that paul says love is not at that moment who is the center of the universe When someone is boasting or arrogant, when someone is prideful or not able to suffer all things. See, I envy because I believe deep down that I deserve whatever someone else has. I boast because I believe deep down I deserve nothing but praise and adoration. In other news, delete your Twitter account because that's all it exists for (laughs) I'm rude because the things I have and accomplished are better than the things that you have. You guys know that I love to quote Kanye West as often as I can. And in the song uh, Stronger, he says, bow in the presence of greatness because right now thou hast forsaken us. You should be honored by my lateness that I would even show up for this. It's rooted in this desperate need to matter that I have accomplished so much. I have done so much that you should be honored that I would even grace you with my presence. And it's funny to look at Kanye and to laugh at him writing that, but like, don't we think about ourselves that way? Like, don't we view ourselves like, this better be good because I'm giving up my very, very valuable time. I'm a very important person. It's rooted in the desperate need to matter, that I have to matter, and you have to know that I matter. It's not just good enough for me to think that I matter. Like you have to know it and I have to prove it to you. And the only thing that that ends up producing is anxiety and insecurity. But love on the other hand, love is secure. Love is absolute in its security. Love for others is the difference in flying off the handle at something offensive and asking, okay, I hear you. Why do you think that way? Why do you feel that way? What do you mean when you say that? Why? Because love is patient, love is kind. One is irritable and it's easily triggered, and the other is patient and kind. And so, my question is: How do you react to stuff, right? Do, do, do you find yourself in a constant state of annoyance or anger? Because that's kind of the world that we live in, where you know we're we're more important the angrier or more offended that we are. Or can you laugh at yourself? Or can you express your hurt in a way that comes from a place of hurt and sadness and not anger, envy, or arrogance? Does your sadness and hurt come from a place of security? Or does it come from insecurity? But the next thing that Paul tells us is that love is hard. These are all difficult things to do and to be. And um, nothing has exposed this in me quite like having children. Uh, at first I was like, oh, marriage exposed this in me. But when you get married to someone, you're dealing with an adult who like, has thoughts and can explain those thoughts. And when you're dealing with children, none of that is true. Um, and, and so like, you know, when Leah and I, and we're at odds, like, we can sit down and have a conversation and we can be patient and we can be kind with each other, but we cannot with our children. It is so hard to be patient with people that you love oh so dearly but they're completely and totally depend on you and they are completely irrational. Um, I, I love the, uh, there's a song, I didn't write the name of the song down. I do love the song. I think it's called Mama uh, by the high, the high women, not the highway men, the high women. Um, but the last chorus of the song says this. It's, like, uh, it's not that I don't want to. I just don't want to today. I'm not a fan of mornings and I love my Chardonnay. No, I'm not saying never. I won't wish it all away, but my name can't be Mama today. And when we have two people in our house who the word that they say 98% of the time is mama, like, seriously, I can be like, literally like, hello, child, how can I help you? He's just like, mom, like, it's a funny song, but it captures the reality of, of loving your children. And it captures the reality of loving needy people around you. That 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 when, that when when we ourselves are needy, we project on other people and it crushes us. It's hard sometimes to love our friends, our families, our boyfriends or our girlfriends, our spouses, our professors. It's hard to love people. It's very difficult. And it's this really difficult thing because it's even harder, I think, because the first moment that someone like hands you your child and you just like fall to people, Like I don't cry. And when they handed me my boys, I just, I wept, I fell apart. The moment that on your wedding day, you see your spouse there in the church, the, the moment that you have that conversation with another person that says, yeah, I think we might end up being, we might end up being really good friends. Or we might, we might be into each other. We might wanna, we might wanna date. Or when you have that really good conversation with your parents, like it's hard because you go from that to like, you are so freaking hard to love <laughs> because we ourselves are too. Eventually, the emotion wears off, and it gets difficult. But then Paul says that love suffers. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And look, Paul, Paul is the example of this, right? Like if you read through Acts and you read about Paul's, uh, Paul's journey, his mission work, that Paul gets thrown in jail. He gets beaten. He gets shipwrecked. He goes before the emperor himself and eventually gets executed by the state. And yet, Paul continues to love. He continues to love those around him, to serve them, to long for them. He even says about his own people, the Jewish people, that he would be completely cut off from God if it meant that they, that they could know Jesus. That that is love that suffers all things. You know, we live in a world that will tell you that ultimately what is good is that you be completely, totally, and wholly autonomous that you are the one that defines you. You get to set your path for your life. And suffering is one of the things that gets in the way of that. In fact, even in American Christianity, we think a lot about how do we get past suffering? How do we get rid of this? Like, like somebody says something mean about Chick-fil-A we're like, oh, persecution, oh, you know, like, and that hap- this seems to happen like every four years. No, to love is to be bound to another person. And to be bound to other people is to suffer with, for, and sometimes because of them. So what is love? It's not simply a feeling. And it's not a pithy quote that will fit on a bumper sticker. But love is an action. It's a constant dying to yourself for the good of another person. And the problem with that definition, and I think the reason that a lot of times we don't like that definition, is because we know deep down that not a single one of us can do it. We know that we're going to fall short, that if we read that list in 1 Corinthians 13 as a checklist, we're going to fail. So that brings us to the person of love. Think think then about what Paul says here. I'm not going to go through the whole list again, but love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, right? It's not arrogant or rude. Now now replace the word love with your own name, right? Or the name of someone that you know. How How does it work? Does it fit? Like if I say Chandler is patient and kind. Leah would fall out of her chair laughing. <laughs> and probably a lot of you would too, because I, I, I know I can stop there. <laughs> I know I can read that sentence and we're done. And I know all of you can too, but maybe, maybe, maybe you can't. Maybe, maybe you can go through the whole list, but does, 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 does your name fit or do the things that you seek to fill the void in your own heart, does that fit the list? Right? Intramural basketball does not envy. <laughs> Alcohol does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Self-righteousness is patient. Porn does not insist on its own way. See, even as we realize we can't say those things about ourselves, we realize we can't say that about anything else that we turn to and that we run to. And the reason that our relationships are so hard, the reason that it becomes so difficult to just be around other people is that we cannot love the way that we were intended to love. We cannot follow these commands the way that we were supposed to. We are, we're incapable of loving with no strings attached. We can't be perfectly patient or kind, and far too often we envy, boast, and are arrogant. We're irritable, and even if we do manage to get this right sometimes, we can't ever make the distinction between I love you and I love the way that you make me feel because those things are very different. And we loop right back around to not doing any of the things Paul says, because that just ends up insisting on our own way, even at the sake of our own humanity. But the question that I have for you is, what if the question of what is love is the wrong question? What if the point of love is that we're incapable of this kind of love ourselves, but that there's somebody else that does this for us? And I think that when we start to ask that question, who embodies this, who does this well? Um, I think there's a fear in all of our hearts somewhere that like, we just kind of like made all this up, right? Like we just made it up that there's a, that there's a God that loves us. And we throw that word around, but here's the good news that we were created to reflect God and God is very much not dead. Um, They've made several movies to tell you about that. Um, But God is active and at work in this world. That he created us to be in covenant with him. And though we broke it, he brings the restoration that we so desperately need. Which we all long for. And that restoration drives us to this, to love. And it's not some vague emotion or feeling, but it is a person. Love is personal. God is love. And Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And So put his name in this verse, that Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Because remember, he submitted perfectly to the Father's will, lest anyone accuse me of heresy, Paul. (laughs) Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures. Indeed, he endured all things. Romans 5 tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that all this, everything, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ is not risen, then all of this is for nothing. And I want you to hear what um, Tom Holland, but not that Tom Holland said. Um, there's a historian, an uh, atheist historian named Tom Holland, who set out to really document that like morality was kind of a, a Western invention. And what he found was that uh, it's, it's actually like entirely Christian. <laughs> and I think he's still an atheist, but like loves Christian. It's weird. I don't know. But listen to what he says. He says, We preach Christ crucified, St. Paul declared. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. He was right. Nothing could have run more counter to the most profoundly held assumptions of Paul's contemporaries, Jews or Greeks or Romans. The notion that a God might have suffered torture and death on a cross was so shocking as to appear repulsive. Familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our sense of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. In the ancient world, it was the role of gods who laid claim to ruling the universe to uphold its order by inflicting punishment, not to suffer it themselves. And so when we think about all this stuff that Paul says about love, what he's also telling us is that every ounce of suffering, everything that Jesus had to take on to make you right with God, to know that love, he did. There's nothing else in the world that claims to love you to the point of suffering and dying for you. Like the God of the Bible. I'll close with two things. The first thing is uh, the movie, the princess bride. you know, early in the movie. Wesley tells buttercup, I'll always come for you. And she asks, how can you be sure? He says, this is true love. You think this happens every day. And then you, you fast forward to the end of the movie and they're reunited. And he says, I told you that I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait? And she says, well, you were dead. (laughs) And Wesley says this. He says, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. And she says, I will never doubt again. And Wesley says, there will never be a need. That this is what love is all about. That love says, I will come for you because that's what true love does. Not only that Jesus would die for you, but that he would give you something so real something so tangible as his very body and blood to know this, that you are loved. So when you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind to you. Jesus will never rejoice in your failure or in your pain. And he will bear hope, endure, and believe all things for you. And because he loved us first, because he made us to reflect him because he made us to be in covenant with him because he restores us we can love we're free to do it the way he calls us to do it we can be patient and kind to others but because these things are true of Jesus they can be true of us too and uh, one of my um, one of my favorite uh Avic brothers songs is the bow of sorry, head pop up the bout of love and hate Right, And it's a, story of, it's a story of this married couple and love is the wife and she's been on vacation. She's had a, she's had a great trip and, and hate has been at home, um, bitter and angry uh, because he's trying to convince love that he doesn't miss her, but he really does. And so he's just basically drank himself into oblivion. He misses her, but he's trying to make it seem like he doesn't. And so she tells him, uh, she's coming home and he says, no one here cares if you go or you stay, I'll see you or I won't, Whatever. But the song ends this way. It says, hate gets home lucky to still be alive. He screams over the sidewalk and into the drive. The clock in the kitchen says 2.55, and the clock in the kitchen is slow. Love has been waiting, patient and kind, just wanting a phone call or some kind of sign that the one that she cares for who's out of his mind will make it back safe to her arms. Hate stumbles forward and leans in the door. Weary head hung down, eyes to the floor. He says, love, I'm sorry. And she says, what for? I'm yours and that's it, whatever. I should not have been gone for so long. I'm yours and that's it, forever. You're mine and that's it, forever. And here's the deal. If you see yourself in this story, in this song, or indeed in the story of your life as anything other than the villain, you're never going to understand this. But when you understand that that's who you are, when you understand that you are hate in this song, And that Jesus is the one who is waiting for you patiently, kindly. He's bearing all things, enduring all things, even a cross. That you hear him say that even though he deserves better, I'm yours and that's it forever. You're mine and that's it forever. So even if you don't believe any of this, you don't believe in Christianity, you're just here because whatever. Don't you want this to be true? Don't you long for something like this to be true? Don't you long for a love like this that death itself cannot even delay for a little while, much less overcome? Please consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. Thank you that we can understand it and that we can know it. Um, Lord, I pray for those of us tonight that need to be encouraged in this, that need to be reminded that you do love us, that you do long to be with us, that we are yours and that's it forever? Lord, would you remind us of that? Would you meet us in our loneliness and in our desperation and in our sadness? Lord, And would uh, would you meet those of us here tonight who are still skeptical about this, that we don't yet know this to be true? We don't yet know this kind of love. Lord, would tonight be the night that you would open that up for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.